Welcome to the Cavish Ships Podcast, where we try and cut through the fog and the murk and shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. Coming up, a spate of articles and reports critical of the Navy's management and culture appeared this week, including a piece on fighting culture that has prompted a fair share of controversy. But first, a quick roundup of naval news around the world. Britain's carrier strike group 21 had an up and down week. After passing through the Suez Canal July 6th and 7th and entering the Red Sea, the carrier Queen Elizabeth met up first with a Japanese destroyer on July 11th, then the U.S. carrier Ronald Reagan and amphibious assault ship Iwo Jima on July 12th in the Gulf of Aden. An impressive display of U.S. Navy, U.S. Marine Corps, British Navy and Air Force, and Dutch naval power. But the BBC reported July 13th a COVID outbreak on board the Queen Elizabeth and some ships of the task group, with as many as 100 personnel on board the carrier testing positive for the disease. All those on board the carrier have received a full two doses of vaccine, and the outbreak seems to have been contained as the ship continued the deployment. Also on July 13th, a sailor was reported to have died on board another ship of the task group, the British frigate Kent. Unofficial reports said the death was a suicide. Meanwhile, another task group member, the British destroyer Diamond, apparently suffered an engine failure of some sort and remained in the Mediterranean Sea while the rest of the group headed for Suez. Diamond was last reported in Augusta, Sicily, and may require a change out of one of her main propulsion gas turbines. It's not clear when or if the ship will rejoin the group, but the ships are designed to swap out engines relatively quickly. And just for a little icing on the cake, it was reported July 15th that about eight COVID cases have been reported on Queen Elizabeth's sister ship, HMS Prince of Wales, after a visit to Gibraltar. In exercise news, Sea Breeze exercises wrapped up in the Black Sea. On July 16, the U.S. fast expeditionary transport Yuma exited the inland sea after a week of operations, followed by the destroyer Ross, which spent three weeks operating in the Black Sea. Meanwhile, down under, the big Talisman Sabre joint exercise began this week in Australia with U.S. and Australian forces. Unsurprisingly, a Chinese intelligence ship was reported by Australian press to be in the area observing the exercises. Further north, Taiwan media reported a Chinese intelligence ship and the U.S. destroyer Pinckney operating off the island nation's east coast. The carrier Dwight D. Eisenhower is returning home to Norfolk on July 18th to conclude a deployment to U.S. Central Command that began in February. The aircraft of Carrier Wing 3 returned to their home bases July 13th. Interestingly, although the Eisenhower pre-deployment composite unit training exercises were a bit long at six weeks, the deployment itself lasted exactly five months, despite an announcement a couple months ago the crews would be extended. Ike is now headed for a spell at Norfolk Naval Shipyard. Up in Washington, Carlos del Toro, the Biden administration's nominee to become the next Secretary of the Navy, faced the Senate Armed Services Committee July 13th, along with several other Defense Department nominees. There were no apparent issues during the hearing, and unless the Senator puts a hold on the nomination, del, Toro, del Toro's nomination should be reported to the full Senate for a vote which in any case is not expected to happen until just before the August recess. 
And for the first time, a woman has completed the Naval Special Warfare Training to become a Special Warfare Combatant Craft Crewman, or SWIC. The sailor, who was not named by the Navy, graduated with 16 other members of her class July 15th at Coronado, California. Only about 35% of those who begin the training are able to successfully complete the course. SWICs are a unique breed, specializing in covert insertion and extraction of the special warfare teams. This is quite an accomplishment, both for uh, you know the push to bring women into uh, all of these combat jobs, but anybody that graduates these classes is a hero in my book. And that's a quick wrap-up of recent naval deployment. Now our main topic. Well, the top Navy issue this week undoubtedly is leadership. Several key articles and reports came out, which taken together, point to deep problems in the Navy's culture, especially with regard to the surface warfare community's warfighting and professional qualifications. The report that garnered the most attention was one commissioned by four Republicans in Congress criticizing the Navy's warfighting culture, particularly in the surface community. Chris, before we dive deeper into the fighting culture report, there were other articles worthy of notice this week. One was by retired Captain John Cordell in U.S. Naval Institute's proceeding on the treatment of commanding officers. The name of the article was, They Are Not Broken Shower Shoes. The Navy should examine how it treats those who took the challenge of command and fell from grace and how others could learn from their experience. Well, of course, now this is a topic that's been around for, for quite a while. The Navy, uh, the, part of the zero tolerance culture that people have been complaining about for many years. And as a, as a, as a CO, do you have, are there too many demands on commanding officers? Can they spend enough to, uh, time on what's important? And also, if somebody screws up, if they make a mistake, is that really one and done? Uh, and, you know, Chris, this is not a new topic. I mean, in your career, you've dealt many times with this sort of issue. I mean, I mean, is this, does it ever get any better or is it really worse than it, than it has been in the past? So I, I think where it's worse in the past is how the Navy treats these folks after they are held to account. Um, one of the things that I am most proud of um, about the Navy is the high level of accountability, whether it's for commanding officers or anyone that serves. Um, there is a standard, whether it's an operational standard or an ethical standard. And when people don't meet that standard, they should be held to account. Um, and that should either be through administrative justice or through you know, going through, through the, a, a more formal procedure. Where the Navy loses me, and I think it loses a lot of people, um, is how they handle those people after they're uh, held to account. So to me, again, there's a difference between holding somebody accountable and excommunicating them and not valuing their service prior to the moment they either made an operational or ethical lapse. And, and I think that that is something that the Navy has to take a deep look at because not only does that affect the individual that's uh, held accountable, but there are people looking up and down the chain of command and it has a, a huge uh, impact on them. To say nothing of the fact that these folks, and this is really what John talks about, to say nothing of the fact that they have um, still have amazing talent, they still have amazing experience. And so why throw them away simply because they fell short in, in their command tour? I, I, I think you're right. And we've seen this happen time and time again. And of course, people get relieved for a wide variety of reasons. 
Um, some of them are, are, are societal, some of them are uh, procedural, some of them are cultural, but sometimes people just screw up. And many times, you know, anybody who's been in a position of responsibility sees something that happened, you think, well, you know, they're there for the grace of God, go I. A lot of things could happen to a lot of people. And a lot of people could essentially just, you know, be very, very competent, very good people and have a bad day, have a bad moment, think they could get away with something because they usually do, and then they don't. And that's the, and that's it. But after, you know, after 27 years, 32 years or something, now we're done with this person. And all that experience, all that expertise goes out the window. Um, this is this is absolutely an, an asterisk. But even this week, um, I noticed that uh, up in Canada, Irving Shipbuilding is the biggest big shipbuild shipyard in Halifax, Nova Scotia. They're building um, these uh, Arctic offshore patrol vessels for the Canadian Navy. They, they delivered the second ship, Margaret Brook, this this week, and it was a nice ceremony on July fifteenth as the president of the shipyard, Kevin Mooney was presenting the commanding officer of the, of the Margaret Brook with a nice big embossed cover for their logbook. Well, the president of the shipyard is Kevin Mooney, former American submariner um, who actually took, 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 took uh, the job last February. But Kevin Mooney was the commanding officer of the submarine San Francisco, um, what, 2005, um, when that submarine hit the under, under sea, underwater seamount out in the middle of the Pacific and wrecked the front end of the ship. He was relieved of command after that um, for navigational errors. And I, I thought, again, this is a, a guy who, you know, he's, you know, he knows his stuff. He's a commander of a nuclear submarine. Those are, those are not cheap jobs. Um, qualified people get those jobs made an error in judgment. Now he's running a shipyard. He's running a shipyard in Canada and it's a pretty good shipyard. Um, again, the guy's got a lot of expertise. Um, the U.S. Navy is not availing itself of that expertise anymore, but there is life after some of these uh, incidents. And uh, you don't just throw people away for the, throw, th throw them out babies with the bathwater. Anyway, um, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. It, it does, a lot of this does come with the territory. Sometimes it, it is, you get, you get the credit and you get the blame. And that's, um, but there, there's always there's always a lot to talk about with them. Another interesting piece that showed up was uh, also in the proceedings under the byline of Senators Jack Reed and Jim Inhofe, um, called to provide and maintain a Navy, understanding the business of Navy shipbuilding. And this seems to be a plea for um, just continued funding of the industry to, to provide transition from program to program so that uh, industry can maintain its, its expertise and its facilities and be there when the Navy wants it to be there. I'm not so sure there was anything terribly new in this, and it, it sort of comes off as a, um, you know, make work plea in, in, in some ways, at least it came off to me. Um, what exactly is the point here? Uh, programs come and go, um, especially in a in the environment the Navy is in, they don't build the same thing forever and ever and ever. And just because you, you, it's, it's like the, it's like the cruisers, they built 27 cruisers. You don't keep building cruisers. At some point you transition to other things. Then, then you're building destroyers. At some point we're not going to build destroyers much anymore, but you transition to something else. But do you always have to give those yards work simply to give them work beyond requirements? 
And especially when people are constantly complaining about money and not enough money, um, it's sort of a, you know, you want your cake and eat it too approach. What did you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw some of that um, in, in the uh, in the article. I, I think you know there there are sides that I guess I'll look at it from a from a half full standpoint. Um, as the Navy does make those transitions, as they sundown one program and and you know move to something else, I think doing it with more um, fluidity, doing it with more heads up, doing it with more um, ability to let those that are uh, tasked with building the Navy know what's going on and so they can plan and so that they're there when the Navy needs them, uh, I think is always a lesson. I I found that when I was in uniform, I mean, there was not a day that went by that um, the health of the industrial base and our shipbuilding partners was not forefront in the minds of Navy leadership. So um, I, I mean, I, I get the sense that this type of reminder is important, maybe more for industry than it is for the Navy. I mean, I think the Navy know, understands the importance of, uh, uh, of industry. I think that they're, you know, probably acutely aware that they need to, uh, to make sure that that it, uh, industrial base stays healthy. Uh, I got the sense that this was more of a, you know, a, a point score on, on the part of uh, these two senior senators uh, for their uh, industry constituents and, and for those that back them in industry, then a real reminder to the Navy. The Navy knows it. Um, right. it, it just right now has bigger fish to fry, I think. I mean, it, it has to figure out what it wants to be when it grows up. And, and when it does that, you know, hopefully the types of uh, stability like, you know, um, multiple ship buys and um, a shipbuilding plan that they're actually committed to follow that, that allow them uh, to, uh, to keep that industrial base healthy. There's also the, you know, the, the whole aspect of competition. Um, it's, it's, you know, the Navy for years has been trying to find any aspect of any program to, to introduce competition, trying to get better prices. And if you're going to have, have firms competing for a job, as in give me a good deal or you're not going to get it at all, that's one thing. If you're guaranteeing that they'll still have work, are you really going to get the best deal anymore? It's a tough call. It's not always obvious. But uh, another issue is, so you have something like Austell USA down in Mobile, Alabama, which has been building, this has specialized in building relatively exotic aluminum, high-speed aluminum hull ships, uh, the Independence-class littoral combat ships and the all the expeditionary fast transports, the EPFs that the Navy has. But both of those lines are coming to an end. And at the moment, Austell is looking for what comes next. They're reconfiguring that yard to do steel, but they don't have a contract yet. There's nothing right now. They're going to, they're going to run out of ships in, the, in, in a few years. And of course, shipyards worry about what's happening in five years and seven years and 12 years. What's coming down the line? What's the future look like? And right now that's an issue. Does Congress come up with a make work project for Austell to keep them going? Good shipyard great track record um do you want them to go away probably not but how are you going to keep that going right now and then keep the keep competition involved is is, is a serious issue and one that does not have an easy answer so that's just um it's easy to talk about these issues and these and these problems it's not so easy to find good solutions that will that will make people happy all right 
So um, the topic that really got everybody's attention this week, uh, at least for a while, was a report on the fighting culture of the U.S. Navy surface fleet by Marine Lieutenant General Robert Schmidl and Navy Rear Admiral, retired, both officers retired, uh, Mark Montgomery, a report which spawned several other articles and a number of media stories. The report was commissioned by four Republican Republicans in Congress, Senator Tom Cotton, Congressman Mike Gallagher, Gallagher Jim Banks, and Dan Crenshaw. Um, no Democrat. And it was um, put out highly critical of a lot, uh, a lot of the Navy's issues. Um, Chris, was there anything new in this report? I didn't see anything new, Chris. And I mean, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it. Um, the, the politics part of it that, that really bothered me, I'll, I'll hit that in the, in my squawk, but um, there was, I, I didn't see anything new. I didn't see anything that the, you know, the Hill or the Navy itself or industry or, you know, sailors at the deck plate level had, hadn't previously documented and or written about. Um, so I, I was left on Monday or Tuesday kind of scratching my head saying, hey, what's the point of this? Um, and it, you know, that kind of played out. There were a lot of people in uniform that were pissed. I mean, they, you know, not just disappointed or not just underwhelmed, they were pissed. They felt like their work, um, the work of people like Tom Roden, the people, the work of people like um, Bill Moran in the people in training world, the, the work of people, um, you, you know, uh, like Tom Copeman um, and, and the current SWO leadership were not recognized that, hey, if you're going to poke all these holes in, you know, or, or highlight all these issues that the that the surface Navy has, and you're, you say that you're worried about their ability to deter or, you know, God forbid, have conflict with China, um, then why not point out where effort has been made and succeeded um, and, and, you know, without that balance, um, it, it, it really does come off as uh, simply, um, you know, a way to poke at the administration or to poke at current Navy leadership. It's hard to figure out what was really going on here. And there were the, the authors of the, of the report were not forthcoming in some of the details and did not make clear what was really going on here. Uh, but but and that, that it. it it's not that these aren't valid issues. They are valid issues. And they are things that people have been talking about for a long time. I spent the first half of my career in television. And for the most part, uh, when I was a TV director, and for the most part, um, I worked for, for shows that were number one and, are, and you know, got top, top of the ratings. But you'd always talk about you know, the guys who were number three or four or something. And you know, they had, one of the themes about them was you know, when, when they would do their news tease, you've known it for years. We just found out tonight at 11. It's like, okay, you know, this is not news. Everybody sort of knows this. Um, it also kind of reads at some point like a, you know, a ninth grade book report. You know, when, even if it's a good book report, um, I hate to tell you this kid, but you're not the first one to read these books. And an awful lot of people have been here before. So like, welcome to the party. You may have realized some good themes here, but it's not unique that you just figured this out. Um, a lot of people have already figured this out. Um, these are issues that have been around for many, many years. I have covered quite a number of these issues. I've talked about a lot of things for a long time. Uh, there's, there's issues where I was part covering some of this stuff in the 90s or the early aughts, or four years ago. 
I mean, on and on and on and on. And you just kind of wonder, okay, that this is nice, but what's your point? And and again, I mean, it's you know, even even the 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 report itself, it starts with a lie. They say this, you know, the verb, the first line in the report. I'll quote it. This review was conducted at the direction of Senator Tom Cotton and Congressman Mike Gallagher, Jim Banks, and Dan Crenshaw as a strictly nonpartisan exercise in congressional oversight. You can't have only four congresspeople and all four of them be Republicans, and three, by the way, oppose the legal results of the past election and say it's a strictly nonpartisan exercise. That's simply not true. That's your first line. So, uh, you know, um, Montgomery uh, and, and uh, earlier this week on, on uh, July 13th, uh, Vago Maradian, our friend and, and uh, sponsor, did a great interview with uh, Mark Montgomery. And the Admiral admitted that he and uh, General Schmidl didn't actually talk to any of the 77 people that, that were interviewed for this report. They didn't talk to anybody. They had teams unspecified teams hired by somebody paid by somebody to interview these people that's not in the report it's a report authored by people who didn't actually talk to anybody boy i don't know in journalism that would be a pretty pretty fatal mistake and then they did it a year ago there's no timeline in this so wh what is what is the point to this um it was interesting that on the on the 13th, the day after this report came out, um, Tom Cotton, who's, who's uh, not known from shying away from um, critical opinions uh, in, in the hearing, was, was part of the Senate Armed Services Committee nomination hearing for um, Mr. Del Toro to become Navy Secretary. And Cotton really pulled his punches. He did not beat up on uh, on Del Toro about what are you going to do about all this? And I'm really concerned about this. And, you know, I want to know your plan and I want you to get back to me, which you, you were sort of expecting. He really pulled back on it. And um, it was it was quite uncharacteristic for Senator Cotton to do that. I'm not quite sure what's going on here. A lot of the stories, a lot of the issues in the report, again, are valid. It's not that they're not valid. It's just this particular report seems to have been a pretty poor job at trying to shed light on these issues. And like you said, um, a lot of people are trying to do a lot of things about a lot of these things. Whether they're successful or not is an entirely different issue. I think people didn't people are right to feel that they weren't being given credit for the work that is going on and has been going on. So Chris, first off, if, if you're really interested in this report, my recommendation would be don't read the first 22 pages, listen to Vago's interview with Montgomery, then go to page 23 of the report and read the, um, the eight recommendations uh, that, the, that the group makes. They're gonna look a lot like recommendations that you've seen in the past. Um, and they're, they're important recommendations and they're recommendations that Congress should push the Navy and the Navy should push the surface community to, uh, to go after. Um, you know, th this report, 
was received, I mean, despite sort of our complaints, it was received with a lot of praise by those that think that there is a problem with the Navy and that those that think that there is a problem with the administration's approach to competition uh, in, in, in general. So try to find in this, if, if you're going to look for something positive, try to find some part of the baby that you don't throw out with the, the bathwater here keep the eight recommendations, work, continue to work hard on this. And as, as we said, there are people that have been working these issues, um, but recognize that until the Navy gets a competitive strategy, until they fund the, that strategy with competitive funding, and until they um, drive that competition down into every part of the, the culture, probably a lot of these uh, problems are, are, are not gonna go away. So, I mean, th this to me is, you know, we didn't get here overnight, but, and we're not going to get out of this overnight, but until we realize that it is a no shit competition, um, then we're probably going to keep just reviewing the same issues over and over again. Just a couple observations, plus and minus on that. And I agree with you. I, I think there is a war fighting problem in the Navy. And many, many people have, have, and have, have been and remain worried about the Navy's ability to actually carry out combat to function in combat on all levels. And I'm, I, for example, I'm not a fan of, you know, telling everybody that you're great and you're number one and, and who can get the biggest flag to fly from their ship and all this. Um, I would rather see some performance than that kind of rah-rah stuff. Um, we don't see a lot of performance for a lot of reasons. Sometimes we don't see it because there are classified reasons you don't want to show things. That's fine. And I think everybody understands that. The stuff we do show, for example, there's been an awful lot of videos coming out in the past six, nine months um, of things going bang, guns, shoot, ships shooting guns, ships shooting missiles. Um, that's fine. And the Chinese are doing it and the Russians are doing it and we're doing it. And there's, it's a lots and lots of this video. What I always find remarkable is that, especially the U.S. Navy's videos, it's a beautiful, gorgeous day. There's no wind going. There's almost a flat sea. There's no white tops. Uh, there's no rain. The sun is shining. The ship is hardly moving, and you're shooting at a you know killer tomato target that's you know a thousand yards away. Um, wailing away at a balloon um, on a gorgeous day. That doesn't really make me think you guys can carry this stuff out. I'd rather see some more, more videos of people, you know, pulling, pulling corporans and tight S-turns on a lousy day, on a dirty day, shooting and firing. And sometimes the Russians do that. The Russian weather, the Russians who know about bad weather will do that. Um, that would, that, that make me get a little more confident. Uh, Tom Roden, former um, uh, surface force commander, uh, who was a major champion of the idea of distributed lethality, put weapons on all kinds of things, make everything into a fighting ship. What a great idea. Um, the emphasis has fallen away on that. People still use the term, but that, that effort to, to, at least public effort to do that, seems to have wavered and, and I always was a fan of he, he told his ships at sea wh whatever you do shoot something every single day 
shoot a gun, shoot a missile, anything. The close-in systems, the five-inch, something, make some noise. And that's a that that's the kind of message that no matter what it is, you know, when you're on a ship, you hear those weapons shooting, even if you're doing something else, you hear the gunfire. And it reminds people, it's, a, it's the not so subtle reminder that your business is fighting. You do war. This is a fighting ship. We're not, a, we're not here on a cruise. Don't make it a special occasion to use your weapons. Do it every single day. And it, it nothing like that, that, that that's going to inculcate the culture faster than anything else, I would think. And I don't think that that the emphasis has um, has lived on past Edward Rhodes' tenure. It, it hasn't. And um, but that's not a it, it's it's not a huge step. Right. I mean, there's not a sailor in the surface Navy that doesn't want to shoot something every day that right. doesn't want to practice their warfighting skills. Um, and, you, you know, I mean, the, the report, just like previous reports um, before it, um, they talk about all the reasons why that there are maintenance issues and that there are funding issues and how that, you know, creates um, malaise in the wardroom and, you know, bitching and griping. And, and so, um, you know, there are definitely issues that need to be addressed. I, I want to be careful that I, you know, don't come off as saying that there are there aren't issues. And as I said, I mean, I think those recommendations should really be studied. But what I worry about is is um, the reason behind this. So whether it's a, a domestic political reason, or I worry, and I worry that you know we've essentially told our um, our adversaries that that we're not in fighting shape, and and I'm never a fan of that. Right. I mean, so, yes, I you know, you want to create enough public interest that people force a behavior change. But at what cost? I mean, do you really want to let the Russians and the Chinese know that, um, you know, the Navy's ability to, to fight uh, and win is is in question? I, I'm not so sure. Well, now I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Now hear this. All right. Well, what that means is it's time for Squawk Box and... Now it's time for Chris Cervello on guess what topic he's going to talk about. Well, Chris, as we just talked about this week's release of the report by Admiral Montgomery and General Schmittle drew much attention inside and outside of naval circles, inside and outside of the United States, as we mentioned. And while I agree with many of the findings and anecdotes shared in the report, I'm disappointed with the political overtones and how it's being used for partisan purposes. Look, the road to hell is paid with good intentions. And despite arguments to the contrary, I worry this report will be nothing more than a stick in the eye to the administration and those trying to fix the very problems the report claims to illuminate. But let's assume I'm wrong. So putting politics, methodology, and timing aside, the question I'm left with is what happens next and for how long? I was a public affairs officer at Naval Surface Forces in 2010 when the Bilal report was released. And as is the case with this report, the Bilal findings were held up by critics throughout the Navy as the answer to all the surface forces problems. And while Admiral Bilal's report was supposed to be the roadmap to recovery, like many similar reports before it, Big Navy and Congress lost steam after about 18 months of enacting the report's recommendations. And we essentially find ourselves in the same spot a decade later. The only difference being is that our adversaries, China and Russia, are larger and more capable. So to Senator Cotton, Reps Banks, Crenshaw and Gallagher, as well as those who claim the report to be more than just political hackery, my request is simple. 
put your money, your time, and your vote where your report is. Do your part to help the Navy carry out these recommendations. Work in your caucus and across the aisle to provide the needed funding and responsible oversight necessary to actually make some of this come to fruition. Because when it's time to deter conflict, or as we said, God forbid, spill blood at, at sea for American values, your efforts are not going to be judged on the release of a report. They're going to be judged on your actions. All right. Well, well said, Chris. That does it for this week. As always, our thanks go out to Vago Maradin for his support. Follow us at Cavish Ships on Twitter. The Cavish Ships podcast is also available where you listen to your favorite music or pods. Uh, we're on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And if we need to be elsewhere, drop us a line and we'll see what we can do. All right. I'm Chris Cavis. And I'm Chris Cervello. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. <laughs>